Good morning. Ooh. Welcome to Hope Community Church. Thank you again for spending part of your special day with us. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Joshua and I have three girls. The oldest is seven, so I've been at this for a whole seven years. And what um, I've learned in those seven years is that I have a lot to learn. And so one of the th- what I'm going to talk about today is really something that I believe God has been teaching me patiently for a while. Um, not last summer, but the summer before, I took our girls to the pool. And we go to the pool that, we, that I grew up going to. And I remember loving summers at the pool. Just fun-filled, carefree days spent swimming with my friends, no worries. Went to the pool, spent all day, came home. Here's the thing. Parenting at the pool... It's not the carefree time I remember it. (laughs) So getting ready at the pool starts about six hours before you actually get there. You have to hope that you washed and dried yesterday's towels. You have to pack the bag. You have to get the water that you need for the day in your Gatorade. Um, The million snacks that your kids are going to ask for, and probably you should put some money in your bag because they're also going to want to go to the snack bar. So then you have to get everybody ready and dressed. And then you have to put on sunscreen. Then you have to remember to put that sunscreen in your pool bag so that you could do that all again in 90 minutes. Then you have to get in the car, and you have to get to the parking lot. You have to get out of the car, have the obligatory, who's going to hand the lady at the gate the pool card argument. Then we have to get through the gate to our spot, get settled, And if you're me, you have to gather the little shoes and cover-ups that your kids dropped in their haste to get into the pool. And then you have to keep your kids safe, right? Hey, Mom, thanks for doing that for us for like 18 years. Um, So about two years ago, two summers ago, I've done all of that. That's done. We're at the pool. At the time, Lily was five. Evie was three and I was pregnant with Alana. And so I've, I've taken my mom's stance on the side of the baby pool, and our, both of our children are in the baby pool at the time, but they're not playing together, obviously. So I am scanning the baby pool, right? So I, I, I have my eyes on Evie for a minute, and then I scan over and I find Lily, and I have my eyes on her for a moment, and I look back to where Evie was, and she's not there anymore. Okay, so I scan the rest of the baby pool, and she's not there. So I scan the deck of the baby pool, where there's a dollhouse and a little house that kids can play in, and she's not there. And so then I look behind the baby pool, where it's still fenced in, and there are some swings and some more playground-type toys for the kids, and she's not there. So naturally, I start screaming her name, which alerts every other mom in the area that my child is missing. And so everybody starts looking. I hear somebody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check the basketball courts. I hear somebody whiz by, I'm going to the bathroom, and I grab Lily, who is hysterical because she knows what's going on. And we run along the big pool. That's what we call it. I don't know if that's what everybody calls it. We call it the big pool. We run along the big pool, and I am scanning the water on my way towards the front of the pool where the gate is and the bathrooms and the snack bar. In the meantime, she is found. She was just, she had just turned three. She was newly potty trained, 
and she had to go to the bathroom. So she went without asking. She got herself to the bathroom. She got herself in the stall, and she locked the door. And that's when she realized that she was alone. And she was stuck. But somebody else, another mom, found her. You know what she did? She got on her hands and knees on the public bathroom floor. She crawled underneath the stall door. She unlocked the door. And my child was no longer alone. She was safe. That mom did for me, or did for my child, what I could not do for her in the moment. I think we've all heard this phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And in those moments, it's easy. We're so willing to embrace the help of the village. But I think sometimes, outside of crisis mode, living that out, accepting that village help is much more difficult for us. Now, I think there are people that embrace that idea, that they live into it. They believe it, they believe it, they live into it. I think there are others of us that believe it to be true, but really retreat from the idea in practice. And then I think for most of us, while it may be a truth universally acknowledged that it takes a village to raise a child, at some point in our lives, in some season of our life, or in some arena of our lives, we struggle to put that principle that we agree with into practice in actuality. And I think we have reasons for it. First one I think is fear. We, as moms, we look around us, we see people who we believe have it all together in real life. We see highlight reels on social media. Everybody else has it together. We know that we don't. And so we feel embarrassed by that. We feel judged. And we retreat a little bit from community. I think secondly, we have a set of expectations as moms. Some of those expectations we put on ourselves. Some of them, maybe they come from elsewhere, from family or from friends. However, those expectations are set, they're there. And I think often we set them too high. This got tough for me, tougher for me when I came home from work. I worked while Lily was young, part-time, and I worked while. Evie was really young, part-time. And when I came home from work, Josh and I really had two overarching goals. And those were, one, to reduce the stress level in our house, in our family, and to create margin where we didn't have it anymore. And honestly, when I came home from work, those two goals were met. But I had a whole second set of expectations that I brought with me when I came home from work. Guys, my house was going to be clean. Guess what? It's not. It's not. It was going to be cleaner than it is. Our schedule was going to be easy to manage. We were not going to have an issue getting out the door to school in the morning. It was just going to be so smooth, right? Breakfast, get dressed, brush your teeth. We leisurely walk to the car and we get to school on time every day. I had expectations for, I don't know, how many books I would read to my kids in a day or how much patience I would have. It was infinite. I had all the patience in my head because I have nothing else to do, right? I'm just taking care of them. 
And when I fail to meet those expectations, I feel failure. I feel like a failure. And I retreat, and I think I'm not the only one. Thirdly, I think that um, we just, we don't want to be a burden to other people. We know we've got stuff going on in our own families, in our own lives. We have an idea of what we think other people have going on. They are too busy to help me watch my kids. That person needs to take care of their grandkids and their nieces and their nephews. and their fr- they, they, they can't help me with mine. I can't ask that. I don't want to be a burden. I don't think that the life God calls us to as moms is characterized by fear, by unmet expectations and feelings of failure, or by this just burning desire not to be a burden to somebody else. I think he has more for us. A life characterized by those things is not the abundant life that Jesus promises us. I want to look at the scripture today that my dad read for us, Um, and I'm going to back it up a little bit. So my dad read starting with chapter, sorry, verse 9, and I'm going to start closer to the beginning of chapter 12. So we're in the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Um, So the church in Rome has kind of mysterious origins. We don't exactly know who started the church, but what we know is somebody came to Rome, somebody told the people that God loved them so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live in this world, to live like one of us, to die on a cross for our sins, to suffer the penalty that we deserved in our place. And they believed in his death and his resurrection, they had salvation. That's the part that they had. So they're the church in Rome, they have the salvation thing, and they're like, now what? What do we do now? And so Paul is writing to them just to try to explain. Here's what you do now, guys. Um, And so I'm going to start in chapter 12 with verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So right here in these first few sentences, um, Paul is setting up this idea that there is a pattern to the world, and the church is supposed to be different. There's a pattern to the way the world thinks. The church is supposed to think differently. There's a pattern to the way the world treats each other, and there's a way that the church is supposed to treat each other. There's a way that the world is supposed to live, or there's a pattern to the world and how they live, and then there's a pattern to how the church is supposed to live. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Here, I believe Paul is telling us that no one of us is any better than anybody else. We're not to think of ourselves as being better than anybody else. We're not to think of ourselves as being any less than anyone else. We were all made in God's image. 
back to verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Each of us is created in the image of Christ with different backgrounds, with different um, sets of circumstances, with different gifts, but we're all designed to come together in one, to create one whole body working together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to, to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above ourselves, above yourselves, pardon me. We're to honor one another above ourselves. We put other people before ourselves. And love is the name of the game. Um, so what does this mean for us as moms? I think it means that Motherhood is not an individual competitive sport. It's not me or you against every other mom out there just trying to do it a little bit better than somebody else. God's design for our motherhood is to be the church within the church, a village of people working together on one mission to show our children and the world around us, the love of Jesus in the way that we love each other. This means that we have to be brave. We have to be brave enough to admit our weaknesses so that others can fill in those blanks for us. We have to be brave enough to accept help when we need it. Somebody offers you some babysitting, Accept it. If somebody offers you some dinners and you really could use them, accept it. If somebody offers you a basket of breakfast, accept it. If somebody offers to clean your home for you, accept it. Because <laughs> here's the thing life is seasonal. And our roles in the village are not static. How many times can you accept help? As many times as you need it, as many times as it will help. Because someday, that's probably not too far in the future, you are going to be somebody who has the time and the means and the space in your life to make the meals for somebody else, to create the breakfast, basket to call somebody and say, do you want to go out for coffee? You could probably use another hour with an adult. (laughs) Um, When I was a kid, I was on a summer swim team. It's a short season in the summer 
swim team. It's, it's about a six-week season. And I had a coach um, who knew a lot about how a team should work. And so we were a big team, and the age ranged from, I don't, from about four years old to 18 years old. And so we had practice Monday through Friday, and we had dual meets on Saturdays. So we had two different practices, Monday through Thursday, the older kids and then the younger kids at a different time. But on Fridays, we all practiced at one time. We came into the pool in the morning. The lineup for tomorrow was posted on the snack bar wall. I can still see it in my brain. And um, we would practice together for a shorter period of time, maybe 45 minutes. And then my coach would break us out into very small groups, often just pairs, an older child with a younger child. And the older child was tasked with teaching that younger child one specific thing. So maybe that day you worked on your backstroke turn to perfect it, or you worked on your freestyle start. So we did that every week. And by week two, what my coach had created was a group of kids who were invested in each other's lives. And I knew as a young kid, going up to swim my race, that I was going to have a word of encouragement from that older kid before I even got behind the block. And I knew that when I stood up, I would see a sea of people ready to cheer me on. That is the kind of team that Jesus calls us to be as moms. We We are a group of people who should know that we have somebody to cheer us on before the race starts, that when we get up on the block, we know that we're going to have people cheering for us from the poolside, and we know that when the race doesn't go exactly the way we want it to go, that there's going to be somebody there to help us out of the pool, to sit on the bench with us, to cry for a minute, and then encourage us, help us dust it off, and get ready for the next race. We have to be a group of people. We're, God wants for us to be a group of people whose lives are not characterized by fear, by fear, feelings of failure due to unmet expectations, or by this just burning desire not to be a burden to somebody else. But our lives should be characterized by humility, by authenticity, and by sacrificial love. On a team like that, on a team that works really well, there's no room to hide your weaknesses and it would be detrimental if we tried to. On a team like that, there's also no room for tearing each other down. Our culture seems to tell us that it's, it's okay to tear down other moms. We have to stop the mom shaming. It starts early. It happens often in real time in real life. It happens online. It is overt. Or it, is, or it can be subtle, but it is damaging in whatever format it takes, and we have to stop that. Let's make motherhood a safe space. And if we do that, if we make motherhood a safe space, the people around us will notice that there's something different about us. If you're here today, 
and any of what I've just said resonates with you, I'm so happy that you are here because I am looking out at a room full of people ready and willing and happy to be your village. Let us be your village. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our mothers and for everyone in our lives that has acted as a mother who has been a mother to us. We thank you for your church. We thank you for giving us the example of how we are to love one another, and we just ask that as we leave this space today, we would take your love with us and show your love to the world in the way that we love each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.